right, good to see you this morning. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 4, if you will, please. Jonah, chapter 4. We're continuing in this book, and hopefully we'll be getting into a new series in just a few weeks that the whole Sunday school will be going through in relationship to discipleship. We're starting a new ministry called Warm Contact Evangelism, and this will help us out with that and also with uh, uh, winning souls and then discipling those souls. Jonah chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 and 2, just two verses. And, of course, we've uh, been talking about different aspects of the book of Jonah, the first division was a sovereign call, where he had a sovereign call from God. And then the second division was the division where God gave him a second chance. Now we get in the third division, I think, of the main divisions of the book called A Strange Conclusion. And it is sort of a strange conclusion to a great revival. And so we'll look at that. And today's lesson is entitled A Pouting Prophet, a pouting prophet. Verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. This was after the revival in Nineveh, where they all got right with God, the king all the way down. In verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Isn't this what I told you I was afraid of? Therefore, I fled before unto Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Well, that's sort of a strange thing, isn't it? One sermon preached, a whole city that got a revival, probably the greatest revival if ever recorded, if not the greatest, the fastest revival that was ever recorded in the Word of God and, and perhaps in all of history. And yet, this genuine revival came to everybody except the evangelist. And right in the midst of the revival, the evangelist got mad and he was backslidden and he didn't seem to get revival. Sort of a strange deal, isn't it? Here he preached. Here God saved all these people, and there was a great revival, and the evangelist is complaining and pouting over the fact that all of these people got right with God. And so today, first of all, we look at a selfish displeasure, a selfish displeasure. In 2 Timothy 3.1, the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then he talks about these perilous times, and he describes what they will be like in verse 2 of that 2 Timothy 3. And he describes some other things, but the first thing he mentions here, and I think it's relevant to all the other things that take place after he talks about them, the first thing he mentions is, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Mankind, men, shall be lovers of their own selves. Do you see any of that today?
in our society, in our culture, and around the world do we see that men are lovers of, them own, of their own selves rather than lovers of God. D.L. Moody sometimes in the past made this statement. He said, the man I fear the most is the one who walks underneath this hat. He was afraid of himself and what he might do. And Abraham Lincoln was running for president, and he was asked by a reporter, do you fear any of your opponents? He said, no, only one. And he said, well, what opponent do you fear? Which one is it? And Lincoln said, a man named Lincoln. If I'm defeated, I'll be defeated by a man named Lincoln. And so they recognized that they had a lot, of, uh, a lot to say about whether or not they had victory and whether or not they did the right thing. Jonah was his own worst enemy of all things. He was, his, he was the one that was hurting himself more than anybody else as we look at his life. And because I think he was selfish and self-centered, part of it, and that is the trend of today. We see selfishness is a killer of joy. Selfishness is a killer of joy. A lot of people who are selfish go around having pity parties all the time. They're so self-centered that they can't think of anybody else other than themselves. No one is ever happy sitting in a corner feeling sorry for themselves. Uh, they're just not going to be happy. None of us will be happy if that's the case. And Paul reminded us of that, Philippians 2, 2 through 4, where he said these words, Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Not self-centered, but others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't be selfish. Don't look at your own life and yourself all the time and how you might be put out, but look at the needs of others. Look around. Look and see what can be done and be like Paul said, be like me. And certainly he sacrificed and finally gave his own life because of that. Too often we serve God and maybe do something that is right simply for what we can get out of it what it means to us, maybe prestige-wise, what's in it for ourselves. And again, Paul says the motivation should be different from that. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 10:33. Listen to the Word of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul said, I'm not thinking about Paul. I'm thinking about other people. I want to see them get saved. I want them to come to Christ. So I'm not going to think selfishly about myself. And many times, if we're not careful, we'll think that way about our ministry and within the family sometimes, just in general, in all of society. But the thing we need more than anything else, and Paul, I think, told us this, in our relationship with others is simply love. And he said in 
in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the love chapter, love seeketh not her own. Love never puts self first. Love puts others first. And we have to, we have to do that. Uh, somebody's used a little acronym, J-O-Y, to say this is how we have joy, and that is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. If you want to have joy, do that in that order. Jesus first, others second, yourself last, and you're probably going to have joy. But seek love seeks not her own. It's not the one that has to be number one and be noticed and be uh, have all the accolades or uh, be pampered and those different things. And then selfishness is also a kin is kindred to jealousy. It kills joy, but secondly, it is kin it is kin to jealousy. And it has that, that attachment to that. Jonah evidently was filled with anger and jealousy, and he probably felt like, well, God, you dealt with me very harshly, and they need a well experience like I had as you dealt with me, but you're letting them off the hook. You're not doing anything to them. You're not judging them like I think you should judge them. And he was angry about it. He was jealous, envious of what God was doing for them. And for some reason, he really let it make him angry, as is seen in those first two verses there in that chapter. It's that kind of thing that will get you in trouble. That's what got Joseph's brothers in trouble, because they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. His father seemed to favor him a little bit more than the other boys, and maybe that was a mistake on his father's part. I can't judge that. He gave him a coat of many colors, and they were jealous. And look at all the terrible things they did simply because they were jealous and angry with their brother. And so that was part of it, Genesis 37, 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. What was that all about? Jealousy. And a lot of times you have that among children in one family. Saul had a problem with that because David had won many battles and he had not won those battles and the women began to sing about Saul winning all those battles. And David got angry and jealous and envious, uh, or Saul did, because David was getting the accolades. In 1 Samuel 18, 8, and Saul was very wroth. He was mad. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? He was having a pity party. He might as well take the kingdom. They're bragging on him for all those that he killed, and they're not saying, I killed as many in battle. And so he got all bent out of shape simply because of that. And sometimes we can't. I don't care who we are. If we don't get the clout and the attention and the place we think we should get, we can get very angry and very jealous and very bitter about it. The elder son did the very same thing. You remember the story. I mean, he, you didn't hear much out of him when his brother, the prodigal, was away from home. But when he came home and his daddy killed the fatted calf and did all he did for his brother, his other brother got mad about it. He got very angry about the fact that his brother had come home. He was jealous Luke 15:28, and he was angry and would not go in. They said, he said, come to the, the banquet I have prepared for your brother. He's come home. He said, I'm not coming. Why? Well, I'm just angry about it. I'm jealous of him. He didn't say that maybe out loud, but that's what it was all about. 
He was angry and jealous of his brother that had come home. We have many warnings in the Bible about envy and jealousy. And Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy is the rage of a man. Jealousy is the rage of a man. And so we have the warning from the Bible to be careful about jealousy in the wrong way. So there's a selfish displeasure that was on the part of Jonah. And then a surly disposition. That means a bad-tempered, uh, rude disposition. A surly disposition. There's only one letter difference between the word anger and danger. When you get angry and you have anger and bitterness in your heart, you are in danger. You're just one letter short of that, and it's going to lead to that. And all of these passages that I talked about earlier about Joseph and David and Saul and all of the different things, the elder son, anger is always mentioned in connection with their jealousy. They're jealous and they're angry and they have a selfish disposition. You can see that every time. Somebody says this, and I've heard it similar, or statements like this, I get angry, but it's over in a minute. Some of you wives are smiling. You must hear that sometimes. Some of the husbands are smiling. Maybe they hear it. Well, so is a nuclear bomb over in a minute. But look at the damage it does. And to be angry and lose your temper all the time and then say, I'm sorry, and lose it, and I'm sorry, and lose it, and I'm sorry, that gets pretty old after a while. You need to get that spirit controlled. I get angry, but it's over in a minute. Well, God says, watch that and be careful about that, jealousy and anger. So we look at the surly disposition or the demeanor of anger, the demeanor of anger. And uh, we meet, and you meet, and I meet people that have sort of a chip on their shoulder. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Don't raise your hand, but you know you meet people Constantly, You don't know what to say. You don't know how to move left or right or go backwards or go forward or just what you're going to say because they have a chip, as we call it, on their shoulder. They're always angry about something, and their life is always a life that is a controlling life, a dominating problem in their life because of that. So we've got to be on guard, and Hebrews talks about the root of bitterness, that's where it can really start, the root of bitterness. And this springing up, and when it springs up, what's it going to do? It troubles you. He says it can cause trouble. It troubles you. And as a result, what's going to happen? Many may be defiled. So when we get angry and we are filled with jealousy and all of that, we have bitterness, that springs up, that troubles us, and then it affects those that are around you. It really has an impact on people around us when that happens. And sometimes people are angry, and we see that when other people around them are rejoicing. What's the difference? It's because they're angry, and they need to check their roots and find out what's causing that. Ecclesiastes 7.9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth, listen to this, in the bosom of fools. God said that. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. And so if you're a person that gets angry quickly, then that's a description of that. So we need to check the roots. The demeanor 
of anger and then the disgrace of anger. Revival took place and Jonah is angry about it. What a disgrace. What a shame on the part of Jonah for being mad and angry about these people getting right with God and about God giving them mercy and showing them mercy. Sometimes in our churches when somebody messes up one way or the other and then they come back and repent and try to get right with God and try to make things right with God, sometimes the enemies they have are the people within the church who just don't like it and they don't want to forgive them and, and they some, somehow are jealous of the fact that people forgive them and try to restore them into fellowship with the Lord. And that's a wrong attitude. And so we have the disgrace of anger. Proverbs 14, 17. He that is soon angry, a, a quick-triggered, short-tempered, dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. People don't like somebody like that. A, an angry person is not respected by other people. If you're an angry person, a jealous person, and you have a chip on your shoulder, other people are not going to respect you and they're not going to want to follow the kind of Christianity you have. They'll just say, I don't want any of that. And so we have the warning and we have the, the results after that if we don't listen. And he says in Matthew 5:22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. God's chastening hand can be upon us because of that. Not only the disgrace of anger, but the damage of anger. The damage of anger. Here's a quote that somebody has made, and it's a powerful quote. It says, anger is like acid. It does more damage to the container in which it is stored than anything on anything that it is poured. And that's true. If you store up anger, it's going to do damage to you, your emotional system, your heart, your physical uh, welfare, and then spiritually it's going to have, uh, it's going to uh, impact you. Any kind of anger and bitterness that's down in there. Anger is like acid. It does more damage to the container in which it is stored than on anything that it is poured. And that is true. We think maybe when we're angry, we're punishing others. We're really not. When we're angry about something and we let it boil and seethe, we're punishing ourselves, and in many ways we're destroying ourselves. I think of the fact that we ought to learn through the power of the Holy Spirit to control our anger. Reminds me of the Quaker. Some of you have heard this story, but the Quaker and the cow that he had, and the cow was a mean cow. And when he would go out to milk that cow, he always seemed to have problems with that cow. So one day it seemed like the cow was more cantankerous than other days, and so he went out to milk the cow, and the cow stepped on his foot the first thing. Finally he got his foot out from under the cow's foot, and then he sat down on the stool, and the cow swished its tail around and hit him in the face. And he sort of threw the cow's tail back to the side and held his hand up, and then he started milking, and then the milk bucket was half full, and the cow kicked the milk bucket and spilled the milk. And he sat down again and started again and uh, began to milk and got his milking done, picked up his stew, and started away. And about that time, the cow kicked him 
knocked him about 10 or 12 feet against the wall. And so this Quaker, and most of you know Quakers don't believe in capital punishment, and they don't believe in and, uh, getting even with people and all of that, and they, they're pacifists. And so this Quaker turned around, walked back to the cow, stuck his finger in the cow's face and said, Thou dost know that I'm a Quaker and that I cannot do harm to thee. I cannot strike thee back, but I can sell thee to a Presbyterian. Or many of us would say to an independent Baptist, right? Because they'll take matters in their own hand. But it's just an illustration there, a simple humorous illustration of patience. And we need to be patient, and we need to not get angry about things so quickly and let God work in our lives and uh, be spirit-controlled. 1 Corinthians 9.25, this is telling us we need to get a, ha a handle on our anger. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery, that is for success in the things of God, must be tempered in all things. And so we have to learn to control things in order to be able to please God. And so by the grace of God, we have to be self-disciplined through the power of the Holy Spirit in our spirits. Again, Proverbs reminds us of this principle. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that is slow to anger is better than, better than the strong, the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit is control of his spirit than he that taketh a whole city. You're stronger than that if you can learn to control your temper and jealousy and anger and those things that go along with it. We sometimes, whenever we have certain actions, it means trouble. And then also sometimes when we have certain reactions to certain things, it means trouble for us. And Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. We have a choice. The discretion of a man or a woman, any Christian, deferreth his anger. And in his glory, and it is rather, his glory to pass over, pass over a transgression. When somebody does you wrong, just turn it over to God and pass over the transgression. In James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get mad, slow to wrath, is what it says in the King James. So, we have selfish displeasure, and then we have Jonah with a surly disposition, and we have to deal with that. And then we have a slanderous defense. Look at verse 2. He prayed unto the Lord and said, now he's talking to God very strongly and harshly here, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Isn't this what I told you was going to happen, God? He's sort of telling, trying to tell God off here. Therefore, that's why I ran. I, I fled before under Tarsus. I knew what you were going to do. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He's sort of chewing God out, taking issue with God. You see, that's why I didn't want to come. I knew you were going to do that. Of all people, he ought to appreciate the grace of God. Amen. But he didn't. So we have an, an inaccurate expose that is a, a public disclosure of a scandal that he pours out from his heart here 
And I believe Jonah here is slandering God. And so these character flaws will cause you to think you can't be right. Then if that's the case, then nobody's going to be right, not even God, and uh, we'll take issue with God. And I've known people that have done that. Some do it. You don't know about it, but others do it, and they question God. They argue with God. They are mad at God. They get angry with God in their lives, and it's a bad deal whenever that happens. We have absolutely no right to question God. When God does something, we have no right to really question Him. We may, we may, ha we may wonder about it in, in that sense, but I'm talking about angrily questioning God and arguing with God and telling, trying to tell God that He made a mistake because God makes no mistake. What would we have done? We might have destroyed them all. A lot of Baptists would say, kill them all. You know, just destroy them. They're wicked, they're evil, they're bad. Just wipe them off the face. But God is a God of mercy. And he says in Isaiah that his thoughts and our thoughts are different. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. That's pretty high. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows what's best, and God knows what to do. And so God gave grace, and God gave mercy to them. And that's what he wanted to do. As for God, the Bible says his way is perfect, perfect, without any kind of error. Psalm 18 and verse 30. Remember, we're the clay. He's the potter. And he has the right to fashion us and form us and break us and remake us and do anything he wants to do with the clay. We're the clay. He's the master potter. And he reminds us of that. Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 18, he says this, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. God does that. And whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? But nay, nay, but O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to the thing that formed it, Why hast thou formed me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? God has that power, Romans 9, 18 through 21. So this was an inaccurate expose on the part of Jonah. He was wrong about it. And then there is an, an insulting, insulting excuse. And the very gall of Jonah where he's saying what he said in part of that verse, Therefore I fled. I, this was my excuse. I fled from you because I knew you were merciful. And... Uh, he, what he's simply saying is your mercy caused me to disobey. Well, God's mercy should not cause us to disobey. If anything, it ought to cause us to obey God and do what God tells us to do, and we should not slander God. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 19.3, again, the foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. We just have to accept the will of God in our lives and know that God is working whatever, whatever, uh, whatever he's allowed to happen and why he's allowed it to happen in our lives, whatever it may be.
He has a purpose in that. And we have no right to get jealous or bitter or angry. Just ask God what he's doing as the potter, we're the clay. And he has a purpose in allowing these things. We may not understand it. We may not even like it. But he does. Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Have you been murmuring lately or disputing with someone lately? Do all things without murmuring and disputings. Murmuring. Maybe about something in the past or something that didn't go the way you wanted it to go or something that, where you felt you were mistreated in a relationship or something or your lot in life didn't fall out the way you think it should be. Paul gives us a history lesson, all that Paul went through. But he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. He's going back and talking about the children of Israel as they were marching through, and they began to murmur and complain, and God had to destroy a whole generation before he could take the rest of them into the promised land. And so Paul says, Let me give you a history lesson to the Corinthian believers. And uh, remember those that God had to destroy because they were murmurers and they were not happy about what had happened to them. And then if you want to think of somebody and really compare yourself with it, not Jonah, not Paul, but with the Lord Jesus Christ. If anybody ever, ever, ever got a raw deal, he did. If anybody ever got mistreated, he did. If anybody ever uh, was lied on uh, unnecessarily and without any reason to do it, he was the one, and finally abused, mistreated, and crucified. And so none of us have had to go through that. First Peter 2, 23, or 2, 22 and 23. Who did no sin, Jesus, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, got angry and killed everybody around him, right? When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered... He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who is that? God his Father. As the God-man, he committed himself to God the Father and did exactly what God wanted him to do. So in our lives as Christians, we must be very careful that we don't have jealousy in our lives and be jealous because of whatever reasons we may come up with. And because jealousy brings forth anger and murmuring and all those bitterness, then we should get rid of anger in our lives. Uh, last Sunday or Sunday a week ago, I can't remember which one it was, and the type of invitation I gave had to do with forgiving people. And that was one of the main thrusts of it when we were talking about Joseph and his life. And one lady came up to me in the invitation and said to me, I was abused by my father when I was a little girl. And I was abused many times. She said, I could not forgive him until today. And she said, I turned it over to God today. I forgave him. Now it's between him and God. See, she had a lot of pent-up anger that had caused her a lot of grief for many, many, many years. And that's a tough one. That's a rough one. And I've talked to other people who have had similar situations uh, in every church that I've pastored. 
and they, when they forgave the person, whatever it was, then God released them, and the other person had to deal with it. And then we should never question God or slander God or uh, argue with Him in the sense that, God, you're wrong, you've made a mistake, because God makes no mistakes. And Jonah should have known better than to take the attitude that he had. And, of course, we should too. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for lessons from Jonah's life and help us to be a people that are not overly sensitive. Help us to not always think that we have to be noticed or number one or up front or given the accolades or praises. Help us, O oh God, to leave things in your hands to take what you allow to come into our lives and somehow that we might steward that and bring honor and glory to Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.